All right, so this morning, uh, let me just tell you, we just came off men's conference. We had a men's conference in uh, Moulton at Pleasant Grove Baptist Church uh, Friday night and Saturday. And so all of our men are in line this morning, right? Men, are we good? Everybody good? Ladies, have you noticed a difference in the last 24, less than 24 hours that your husband has, I probably shouldn't ask that, I'm about to get in trouble right now. Don't answer. My wife's in the front row, so... (laughs) Uh, yeah, man, it was an awesome conference. Uh, God did some amazing things. Uh, we, we are blessed this morning because the conference speaker actually is with us this morning. And so I'm going to give a little introduction uh, to Pastor Code, and I'm going to let him come and, and share the Word of God with us this morning. But Code Blaze is a pastor of Downtown Baptist Temple in Ocala, Florida, and uh, started a church plant in 2016, so November of 2016. Uh, and, uh, man, God is blessing their church, their ministry, Uh, This brother loves the Word of God, he loves God, and he loves the Word of God and the Son of God, and uh, he's just a great brother. And uh, man, he ministered to us this this past weekend, challenging us to be true worshipers of God, that our worship of God is actually what will will manifest in outward appropriate actions in our life, Like, like it all begins with worship. And if we don't have a right attitude in our relationship with God personally, then our outward actions may or may not be biblical. And uh, it was a great challenge for us to really examine that, that we can be religious but not right with God. And, uh, and it was really good. And so, man, I hope our men will at least take these things that we've learned, hold each other accountable, discuss these things in real spiritual conversation with each other. Uh, but it was a blessing, man. It was, the conference was amazing. And so uh, praise the Lord for that. This morning, we are blessed because he stayed over an extra day. And, uh, and I told the other pastors, you're not getting him on Sunday morning. We're going to go ahead and claim him. And I pulled my card and said, here, we're, gonna, we're just going to take him and uh, let him preach to us because we need it. I need it. And so uh, Pastor Code, man, has an amazing ministry in Ocala. Uh, he's married. He's got four kids. Uh, it is a special gift that we have him today uh, because he's away from his family. He's away from his home church. He's a lead pastor. And so anytime a lead pastor is able to invest in another church, man, we, we are blessed to have him here. And so uh, I'm really excited for you, brother. Thank you for being here. As he comes and shares the Word of God, let's give him a hand and welcome him to Community Fellowship. All right, good morning, church. So glad to be here. And yeah, I've got, man, a sweet love for you guys. One, because, man, I love your pastor and his wife. Man, they are become sweet people to us, and it's been a good Sorry, guys, I'm already moving. I'm way from here. I told him I'd probably stay right there, and I'm already on the way over here. So anyhow, man, uh, yeah, so I, I grew up in Kansas City, uh, that, Missouri. That's where I grew up, and uh, God did a number on my life there as, uh, through my local church. And, but then I, I met an awesome woman. Uh, I was a weird kid, and some of the men, you, you heard that. And I made a... a uh, a commitment to the Lord with my best friend in middle school that we wouldn't date. He was coming out of a bad relationship in middle school. And so he's like, hey, let's make a commitment to God that we don't date through high school. I was like, okay, sure. Well, I made the commitment. Guess what? Next week he's dating somebody. Well, I, I was serious. I made that before the Lord. So I didn't date all through high school. And I was really able to give my that time to the Lord. And it was such a blessing. And uh, so I was able just to pray and seek the Lord. My dad had a couple of rules in our house that if you started to like a girl, uh, you pray for six months, and then if you still like her, you come tell me, and then we'll pray another six months, and then you can tell her that you like her. Well, well, goodness, right? 
But that was actually a lot of protection, right? Because you guys know, right? Like, you can start liking someone in two weeks. You're like, oh, no, I should not be in this relationship. <laughs> and so, so I'm in college now, and everybody knows I'm free from my commitment, and I have codes on the market. And uh, I love telling this. This is not even the message. I just love telling my story, how I met my wife. I love it because she's, I love her. Um, and uh, so, well, God tells me to wait another year. I'm like, Really? I'm free. You want me? And so I waited, and, and I'd always been taught you're going to find your, your bride in the field, right? Like, if God gives you a vision, right, men, if, if God gives you a vision in your life, there's going to come to a point that you can't do it by yourself. Therefore, that's when the help meet comes. We see that in Adam and Eve. And that's the problem, right? Many men have no vision, they get into a relationship. So, ladies, how do you help a man do nothing? Right? You how? And so, man, I'm in the field, my head's down, I'm plowing, I'm going to college, leading Bible studies, trying to win people to the Lord, and all along, here comes Anna, I'd actually known her in middle school, but our dads had been sent out to be pastors at different places, and so we're coming back to the same church, he'd asked my dad, her dad asked my dad to become his youth pastor, so now we're going to the same church, she'd already gotten her surgical tech degree, she had a killer job, and God worked in her heart to go back to college just for the gospel's sake. So she took geography or something like that so she could be on the campus. And so now we're plowing, and I just remember the day that we're in a Bible study, and no one shows up. It's just me and her, and we're like, yeah, this is probably doesn't look good. The pastor kids alone, we, we probably need to bolt. So let's pray, and we'll get out. And so we're in college, and so, man, I, 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 I was in a lazy boy, and I propped that thing back, and I, that's how I'm going to pray. And so I peeked when we were praying, and, and she was on her knees uh, praying. And I remember what she was wearing, all that stuff, and it's like a two-by-four hit me across the head. And it's like, there she is, dummy. And, um, and so, man, I started my process of praying for her for six months. Uh, and my dad and I were doing a college retreat together. He was a pastor, and so I had like a breakout session, and he was doing the main thing. And he's telling these college students of these lessons he's taught us on dating. And he's telling the, the crowd, like, hey, I'm, dude, I'm way off the message, man. Well, okay, whatever. And he's like, hey, like, hey, man, this is how I've taught my boys. Pray three months, and if you start to like her at three months, tell me and mom, and we'll pray another three months, and after six months, you can go. I'm eight months into praying for her, and I'm in the crowd, and I'm like, we're having to come to Jesus Me, You're getting at the altar, because that's a lie, man. And so the moment he's done, I bolt over. I was like, Dad, that's not how this works. He said, yeah, what are you talking about? Man, you've told me to pray six months and then another six months before I can even make a move, and you just told everybody, man, three months. He said, oh, right. I said, so does that mean I'm good? He said, yeah, you're good. Go. And so, man, I, I began to pursue her, and, uh, man, we dated for about six months, got engaged, and then we were married six months. And why I go on into that is that, man, through some prayer and some time, God said, hey, I want you in Ocala, Florida, just to go to a church. Not for a position, not for anything, just to go to a church. And so we moved there. That's how we landed in Ocala. And through some events and through some things, man, grew up in a church, man, through their institute, man, got trained up. And through some turn of events, we landed at another church, and that church ended up sending us out in, man, in December of 2015. And we began to 
planted a church. And man, soon then we, we, in November 2016, DBT was born, Downtown Baptist Temple. And uh, it's been a sweet ride. It's been awesome. And so God's really blessed me. I, I shouldn't be a pastor, uh, but he saw it fit. And he, like Paul, he said he was put into the ministry. Man, I'm right there. He put me in it. I've seen the backside of ministry. I saw what my dad and my mom had to go through. And I was like, man, I don't want any of that. I'm cool with discipling and serving. Man, let me move chairs. I'm good. Uh, I'll be here when the doors are open, and I'll be a faithful member. And uh, he turned that into now being a pastor. And so that's kind of short skinny on my, on my life and how we got into Ocala, Florida. And so that's enough about me. Uh, well, I, so my wife's name is Anna. We've been married 14 years. I've got four kids. If I don't say this, it's on live stream. So they're going to be like, you didn't say anything about the kids. Okay, four kids. Hosanna, who's 10. Selah, who's 8. I got a boy, Wilder. Man, he's five. And I've got a new Moses is his name. He's five months. And so it's, it is, like Jay said, it's hard to leave right now. You know, she, my wife is taking it on, man. He, she's doing it. And so I have a good one. And uh, she's been an awesome help me. My that's my team, man. My, my kids are part of the team, and so it's awesome. All right, turn with your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Man, we're going to... Does Jay move pretty quick, or... I, I'm going to have to fly, because that was a long intro. All right, but I want you to see some things this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. You have a very young church here with the church in Thessalonica, and what's amazing is that Paul actually only had about three weeks with this church. If you go back in Acts, you see that he gets three Sabbaths with them. And depending on how you cut that, that could be 14 to 15 days to man, about three weeks. And then he's pushed out of the town. But man, this church, got a, they got it, man. They, they received the word of God, not as the words of men, but as it was the words of truth. Man, they received the words of God and they took off with it. But now Paul's writing back to them and he loves this dear church. And so 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, let's just get some context here. Verse 5, it says, For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Ghost. I mean, man. This, the, the gospel hit, man, here in Thessalonica, and they, they took it and ran with it, and they then became in samples. In verse 7, so then ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. Verse 8, for from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God were to spread abroad. Look at this, so that we need not to speak anything. Paul's like, I don't even need to come. You guys have been doing it. And they really got this. In those three weeks, man, they, they really set some roots, man, and began the work. And you see, man, what a radical turn in verse 9. For they themselves shew of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath of come, to come. So, man, this church really got it. Jump with, jump with me to chapter 2 and, and verse 11. J chapter 2 and verse 11. 
says that as ye know how he exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children. And here's, here's Paul's goal, that ye would walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. And he wants them to walk worthy. And, and said, so verse 13, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God. And look, if you receive it as the word of truth, the word of God, and not the words of men, then look what it does, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. If you don't believe you have the word of God, it won't work. You have to have that foundation, and they did. And so it's been working in them. Jump to verse chapter 3 then, and starting in verse 1. Chapter 3 and verse 1. Wherefore, when we can no longer forbear, we thought it good to be be left to Athens alone. He's like, Paul's like, man, I want to be there with you. And I so bad do, but I'm going to hear, I'm going to send Timothy. And I thought it'd be good that I be left alone and you get Timothy. Verse two, and sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God and our fellow labor in the gospel of Christ to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith, that no man should be moved by these afflictions. For yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. And so Paul is writing now, like, hey, I, I'm going to give you some things so you're not moved. Do you know people are trying to move you from your faith? They're trying to overthrow your faith? And Paul's like, hey, I, I need to write to you. I want, I want to give you some things so you're established. And so, man, jump with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1. He then writes, Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. Now, isn't that amazing? Three weeks, this young church, and Paul's expectation. I hate false expectations, do you? I mean, I just hate when you get false expectations especially in church, right? We put a lot of expectations on people. We put a lot of expectations on, on pastors that are not biblical. Men, we talked about this, right? The appropriate actions and what God has called us when it comes to our role. And sometimes we expect more than what even God expects. But here's a biblical expectation. See, some people, when they come to expectations, because they've been hurt, they're like, they don't want any expectations. They don't want any accountability. no. There is biblical expectations. There is biblical accountability. And check this out. Paul expects after three weeks with this church that they would know how to walk, they would know how to please God, and they would know how to abound more and more. And what's so sad today, especially with God's people, there's been people in church 10, 20, 30 years that still don't know how to walk with God, know what pleases Him, and how to abound more and more. And we're going to come back to that. We're going to challenge you that. But he's challenging them. Hey, guys, you have what it takes. And I believe because I know your pastors and, man, the vein they live in, I think you have enough to know how to walk, to please God, and abound more and more. And you can't blame people for your, your walk. You know how to walk worthy of the Lord, which was Paul's goal for this church. And so jump with me to 1 Thessalonians, verse 5. And this is kind of where we'll, we'll land a little bit. Verse 11. 
It says, wherefore, comfort yourselves together, edify one another, even also as also you do. And, and we seat you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and, and esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves, men. Those might be familiar verses. But verse 14, now we exhort you, brethren, Warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. He's, he's just laying out, man, these one-liners, man. They're just so deep. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. And then we get into verse 16. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit, despise not prophesying, prove all things, hold fast that which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we need you to illuminate, man, your words so that, man, we can fully understand. And, man, we got different backgrounds, different people in the room, man, people that have been around, people that are guests. And, and so what's so good, Lord, is this amazing gift of the Holy Spirit that you've given us on the day of salvation. That, man, it teaches us exactly where we're at and what we need to, to continue to abound more and more. Man, to... to to move forward and to walk worthy of you. And so this morning as we man, dive into some just simple practical things, I pray that, man, we be sensitive to your spirit. We will not despise the prophesyings. And what we see and prove out, we'll hold fast to. Or we need people that will hold fast to that which is good. And so, Lord, man, show us these things this morning in the time that we have. And in your name, amen. So here Paul, again, is instructing this church in Thessalonica, and, and we cross, man, some abilities that a young disciple needs, a young follower of Jesus Christ. And the first three, I think, man, arguably are probably the top three personal problems that plague this church period. Man, God's answer to depression is verse 16, the ability to rejoice evermore. That's God's answer to depression. You, you having the ability to rejoice evermore. These look like these little one-liners that Paul's just kind of, man, throwing them out and just kind of like finishing the book up. And you're like, okay, man, these are good things to put on signs, you know, and post them in the house and all that jazz, which is great. But they're actually building on each other. And these aren't just to be these simple truths, man, they're deep when you get into them. And, and what Paul is giving, man, right? When you give a young disciple, you don't lay it all out. You just give them the steps. You just give those basic things to begin to implement in their life. And so he's like, hey, here, man, young disciple, young church, if you can learn to rejoice evermore, that's actually God's answer to depression. And then, man, we, we just look at our age, man, we deal with anxiety, right? And man, if you can have the ability to pray without ceasing, and you cast all your cares upon him, and you have that ability, that's God's answer to anxiety. And then you have God's answer to covetousness, which is learning the ability to give thanks in everything. Man, we downplay God's simple instruction. Man, if we just 
Here's some appropriate actions, men. If we would just start doing them out of the adoration for the Lord, man, some of the things that we put our plagues, our life, or plagues our society begin to ta- be taken care of by the simple truth of the Word of God. And so, man, what, what Paul then goes to this list and then he gets to verse 19. He says, quench not the spirit. And, and what he's saying, hey, these are the, probably the top three problems and here's the solutions, man, to start to do these things. And from there, the Holy Spirit will take over. Man, the Holy Spirit's going to keep teaching you. Just make sure you don't quench it. Don't quench it. But you can't just say quench not the spirit. It, it goes into verse 20 because we got to understand the Holy Spirit will never work independently of the word of God. You, you have to have those two together. And, and so, man, it's, this is a great segue into the next verse. That dealing with the abilities a disciple needs to continue personal growth, man, is verse 20. Despise not prophesyings. Now, man, we don't have the time. But if you would dive into that, man, prophecy with a C is a noun, which simply means a, a, a declaration of something to come. Prophesy or prophecy, whatever you want to pronounce it, with an S is a verb which shows action. So it's saying, despise not prophesyings, the verb, which means the proclamation publicly of something to come. Now, when you start to study out prophecy in Scripture, there's two types. There's, man, ones that tell, foretell the future, and there's ones that are foretelling. They all come from, thus saith the Lord. It's all revealing revelation. And so here in the time of Thessalonica, historically, there's still apostles and there's still prophets. The word of God hasn't been put and preserved in written form. So there's still what may be called open revelation, where men of God, holy men of God, spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And what is that called? Scripture, right? That, that's the word of God. Well, Paul and then eventually John, last of the apostles, die. And so does the office of prophet. Because why? We have a written word of God that brings revelation. So the despise not prophesying has a dual application. Yes, it's those that would speak on behalf of the Lord. But today in our time is those that take the, the prophecy of Jesus Christ, the testimony of Jesus Christ, and proclaim it publicly. Does it make sense? All right, if you don't figure that out, man, ask Cody, right? But listen, he said, hey, Young disciple, man, you need to start with these three things. Young church, you need to do these three things. And man, for the rest of your life, what's going to continue your growth is you not quenching the Spirit and not despising the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. And, and so, through the, gift of the, the gifting of the Holy Spirit, a preacher and a teacher is to speak truth that is revealed in the Word of God. Why? Because we see in Ephesians 4, 11, that perfects the saints, and that helps with the work of the ministry. It edifies the body of Christ. And so if you despise the preaching and teaching of the word, those things can't help you. Those things can't happen in your life. You can't be matured. You can't be prepared. You can't be edified. And 1 Corinthians 14, 3 says, But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation, and comfort. And man, this is why it's so important to be 
at church on Sundays and Wednesdays and when the prophesies are happening because, man, when you miss a main service, you miss some edification for your life. Man, when you miss May a Wednesday night, you miss some exhortation or you miss some comfort. And I'm not trying to say, man, you got to be here and set some legalistic thing. I'm just saying, man, for your personal growth, you need to put yourself under the foolishness of preaching because it does some things in your life as a believer. It made some ways that you might be despising the word of God. As, man, it made some questions. Is one, are you attending? Are you listening? And are you growing? And depending on how you answer those, may reveal your heart if you're despising the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. So there in your little box in your notes, before, this is all supposed to be intro, right? Can you rate the priority you have on prophesying this morning? Man, what was your heart attitude towards the Word and it being proclaimed like, man, I can't wait because you know what it's working in your life? Or maybe this is all new and you're like, man, now I see the importance of being here, being ready to receive the word of God. My t- man, in the short time I have, man, my prayer is that, man, I can hopefully show you how to grow through the preaching and teaching ministry here through the instruction of these, two next, these next two verses. Because here's God's answer as well, as an ability, an ability that you need to have to continue your growth 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 21. Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. Abstain from all appearance of evil. Man, not everything out there called preaching or teaching is biblical. And I don't know about you, but man, that abstain from all appearance of evil has always been thrown at me. Like, hey, you probably shouldn't go there. You probably shouldn't do that because, man, you need to abstain from all appearance of evil. Yeah, but in the context, it's with the prophesying. And so when you hear something that doesn't sound good and you go prove it out and you find out actually it's evil, you're to abstain from it. And so let me, let me throw some things at you. See, see if you're catching what other cats are spitting, right? Here's what it is. Here's some, what someone said once. Let's see if you can track with some of these things. All right, so here's a little test, right? Tonight, I'm going to do my absolute best to illustrate to you something that God showed me out, out on the back porch. He put a picture. I, I've explained to you before, I'm a very visual person, so he speaks to me very often of putting a picture in my head. And it was as if I was raised up looking down on a community and as I saw the church in that particular dimension, certainly not all dimensions, not even in many, but in what we will discuss tonight, the church as Jesus sees it in a particular dimension. Now I can tell by some of your faces, you're like, what? What dimension are we talking about? And how does Jesus see it in that particular dimension and how she sees it is through the vision that she had on the back porch. And now you're kind of catching on, I'm saying she. Okay, now, what about this? God broke the law for love. I say it to every sinner. God broke the law for love. Wait, 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 man. Are you thinking a little bit? If God broke the law, then that makes him a sinner. 
Uh-oh. We're all in trouble then. Okay, how about this one? When he was on the cross, Jesus' last words were, It is finished. The Son of God was not declaring his imminent death. In effect, what Jesus was saying was, The guilt is finished. The depression is finished. The low self-esteem is finished. The mediocrity is finished. It is all finished. Now, time out. You see that one? You're like, hmm? Now, it is finished. I'm on the cross. I'm pretty sure he's like referring to the work that God asked him to do, which is to seek and to say that which a lot. You know what I mean? Man, some of these things won't be finished until we get our glorified body. Because we are always battling the flesh. Hmm. How about this? Financial prosperity is God's will for you. Well, I must not be in God's will then. <laughs> All right. What about this one? Anyone who tells you to deny yourself is Satan. This one hits home for us because this person lives in Florida. Man, what about this? Salvation was not God's ultimate goal, but merely his immediate goal. God's ultimate goal on earth is the fullness of the spirit in the believer. As getting us to heaven is not near as great a challenge as it is to get heaven into us. No. <laughs> we got the Holy Spirit in us. What if someone said, God wants to take us farther and we can only get there by following signs? Our present understanding of Scripture can only take us so far. That one's very dangerous because it's saying the Word of God is not the final authority. Signs are. Uh oh. <laughs> what about Christians to stop focusing on our need to protect ourselves from deception? And instead, our hunger for Him must be seen in our lustful pursuit of spiritual gifts. Watch out. What if someone said the Christian life is to be effortless? Man, what would you say to these things? I mean, how is a new believer? Supposed to navigate all the preaching and teaching. And please, don't miss the basic wisdom in this passage. Prove all things, abstain from all appearance of evil. I mean, there's good general wisdom in those things. But it was meant for more. And man, the way it lands in order is an amazing thing. That every disciple must learn the ability to prove all things... So then you can hold fast to some things and then you can also abstain from some things so you can continue to grow in the Lord and be wholly sanctified. So here's some basic principles. Let's see, man, as a church that's been growing and where you guys are at, let's see, man, if you've got some of these things that we need some, to work on some. So one, prove all things. Do you have that ability? Again, Paul is addressing a young church, young believers. They haven't had a chance to be settled in their faith. And, and it would be easy for someone to come along and begin preaching and teaching things that aren't true. So as they obey the command not to despise prophecies, he's, he's telling them also don't fall victim to, well, the preacher said. You ever heard that? I mean, I, I have a big deal. We start quoting, even good dudes, we start quoting them and not quoting the verses behind the principle that they used. That we don't know the Bible where they're pulling from. And it's not their fault. We just, that's how we remember things. Well, the preacher said. 
So yes, you're not despising preaching and teaching, but, but listen, we're responsible to prove all things. And how do we do that? Are we left to our opinions, our thoughts? Are we left to judge by what we think is right in our own eyes? And go read Judges and see how that works out for Israel. No, there's two simple commands that God gives us to prove all things. Number one, the first way, search the scriptures. Don't take it on face value. Search the scriptures. See, after Paul hit Thessalonica, he, he bounces to Berea and, and, and he check, and check this and behind me, Acts chapter 17. It says the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who, who coming with thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. Verse 11, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind. They weren't despising the prophesyings. But look, and search the scriptures daily whether those things were so. Man, they were more noble than the church in Thessalonica, those in Thessalonica. I mean, here, think about it. Paul, the, the apostle, man, to the Gentiles, an apostle born out of due time. I mean, he was given the mysteries. Man, he's one, he, man, he spent time with Jesus on the backside of the desert. I mean, this is the greatest Christian of all time. And, man, you think you should just believe Paul. And he even says, man, these guys in Berea, man, they are noble. Why? Because they received it with all readiness in mind, but they went back and searched the scriptures even with what he said. Man, I ain't above this. Jay's not above this. Actually, I know Jay and Cody. Man, they want you to take what you, they say and run it through the filter of the Word of God. Paul wanted it. Any good preacher wants you to do that. But remember how Thessalonica received it, 1 Thessalonians 2.13, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. He says these groups of people were more noble than that. That's pretty noble. But they're more noble, because when they received it with readiness of mind, they searched it out. Key principle very simply. Be more noble, community. Be more noble. It's a noble thing to search the scripture to prove all things. In a second, I'm going to show you maybe some practical ways of doing that. But the second way to prove all things is not only searching the scripture, but to, number two, study the scriptures. Study. 2 Timothy 2.15 Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You know how you'll be ashamed sometimes? You quote preachers that you didn't search out, and you find out, man, you're just, you just had some talking points, and someone that knows the Bible comes to you and says, man, that's not what the Bible says, and you're one or two things. You'll be ashamed and get right, or you'll be ashamed and get prideful and you'll double down because, man, you can't tell me what's right. Study to show thyself approved. In 2 Timothy 2, verse 16, he tells us, Paul tells us, son in the faith, 
Look, shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase into more ungodliness, and their word will eat as doth a canker. And then he claims these dudes that will forever be preserved in the word of God. Man, some people are like, man, I hate when people claim false teachers, man, and they, they throw names out. Man, Paul's doing it. And it's forever preserved because you need to know what they're saying. Hymenaeus and Philetus, verse 18, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already and overthrow the faith of some. I want you to see, man, Paul tells his son of the faith, shun it. Shun that vain talk, that profane babbling. Avoid it. Profane means irreverent and polluted. Vain means empty. And man, when you begin to study vain, man, we had a guy in our church just teach on this. It's awesome. And vain means not just empty. Vain, actually, when you begin to study it out, it means it's a trick. It's an empty trick. They're trying to overthrow your faith through a, through vain, through a trick. Babblings, you know what babblings are, but babblings is only used three times. And I want you to see where it's used in the, for the first time. It's really amazing. Proverbs 23, verse 29, Who hath woe, who hath sorrow, who hath contentions, who hath babbling, who hath wounds without cause, who hath readiness of eyes, they that tarry long at the wine, they that go to seek makes wine. Okay, the ones that babble, man, they're drunk. Right? Have you ever talked to a drunk? Man, it's, it's a lot of profanity, that which is profane. It's a lot of empty talk. And a lot of times they're trying to trick you. They don't know what they're doing. It's fruitless. And ain't that interesting when you start to study out being drunk in the Spirit. And the Bible says, shun that vain babblings. And when you actually study out, man, Benny Hinn, Kenneth Hagin, Kenneth Copeland, the Bible says to shun it, to avoid it. Because it will increase into more ungodliness. And their word will eat as canker. Their word, not God's word. And it will turn into gangrene. And it will overthrow the faith of some. You need to, man, you need to search the scriptures. And you need to study. Because they're out for your faith. Isn't that amazing? They're out, actually. When they're proclaiming that they want to build your faith, they're actually trying to overthrow you. It's a trick. <laughs> and they're vain talking. But here's the deal. You don't have to go look at these guys and figure out what they're talking wrong. Man, the, here's an amazing principle that has guided me for a long time. A buddy of mine, Mark Schaefer, he's a pastor in Tampa. Man, very influential in my life, in the church, in our church's life. He said this, study what is right and you will know what is wrong. You don't need to go study the wrong stuff, man. Some people will go chase the cults and Gnosticism and Luciferianism and all these other things. Listen, you dive in that without knowing what's right, you're going to get caught up. Just study what's right. Prove this out and hold fast to this. Those are the first two commands. And then abstain from all that has the appearance of evil. Why? Because you'll know what's right, so you know then what to abstain from. Okay. So, listen, search and studying the scriptures is how you prove all things. 
Man, a good thing, man. Believe nothing until you, it has stood the test of proving. So here's just a practical way. I mean, I think in this church you would understand, man, you have a standard to use to prove all things. The King James Bible, I don't need to maybe go into that. That's been settled here. But here's a practical way to, move out a mes- uh, to prove out a message. Right? It's in your notes, I think. Monday morning, you take the handout that you get every week. That ain't meant for just Sunday morning to look good. You know that, right? Like, that ain't meant to be like, hey, look, we got a handout. You know, you can scribble on it, do some doodling, you know, and then take it home and throw it away. No, that's not what it's for. It's so for you can, so that you can prove them out. The cross-references, the points. And then from there, as you search that out, you can begin to study from there and to prove all things. So here, Monday morning, and I... Hopefully this isn't heretical. I mean, if you have a, a, a way that you already talked to the Lord, awesome. I'm not saying replace this, but, man, we have a couple. Man, when I preach in this church. It's radically, radically has changed our church, especially in this young, or this one couple, and in the wife especially. She's been a super encouragement since she's done the, I went through this. She's, man, been a super encouragement to me. Her name's Allie, and she will take, this is the process, take the, take the hand out. And Monday morning, don't read your two chapters, three chapters, or your Proverbs, or whatever. But go through the message and look up all the cross-verses. Well, let's go through it. Sit down. That's a good one. That's a good step, right? Just sit down. <laughs> Seek the Lord in prayer to teach you. Don't underemphasize the matter of prayer and your searching and your studying. Search the scripture. Look up the verses. Then study out what may not make sense to you. Scribble it in your Bible. Make marks. Do the cross-references. Put them there. Put the points in there. And then seek the Lord and what decision you need to do based upon that. And what happens is that Monday, that Sunday message now comes into Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and Thursday. And you've proved it out. And you become more noble. You become more noble because you've searched the, the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. I'm not trying to add on to your three chapters or whatever. If that's your process, do it. Don't, I don't want to break and all of a sudden you're not walking with God because code said to do this. But listen, you need to set some time. My disciple, they set, they set aside Thursday night. And they take the notes and they go through it. And there's one time Allie came up and uh, she, uh, as she was talking about something. She's like, yeah, I remember in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that you mentioned that it's a charge and this, blah, blah, blah. Man, that was just radical for me. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And you remember, you preached that. I'm like, man. And then she started to tell me the message back. And I'm like, oh, snap, I did. I'm like, oh, yeah, now I remember. But she had it down. And she is, it is amazing, like, her life has changed. Her countenance has changed. The things in the last few months have been amazing. Like what's been going on in her life because she's proven these things out. And what I did in my church, I went through all the things. If they had been here for the five or six years that we had been planted, what you would know if you just proved out everything. And so I got a list from Jay. If you've been here for a while... If you had done this up to this point, this is what you'd have. You would have Nehemiah down. You would have Colossians down. You'd have Luke down. You would have Haggai down. 
you'd have 1 Timothy down. You would have Jonah down. You'd have part of 2 Peter down. You'd have 1 Thessalonians down. You'd have Revelation 1 through 3 down. And it may take a couple more years, but you'll have the whole book of Revelation done. You would know about relationships, Elijah and Elisha, the day of the Lord, parenting, finances. You would be mature. And you know what to hold fast to. And now I, I know what maybe some are feeling right now. I didn't do that. And so I don't know. I can't remember what Colossians was about. Man, I know I, I felt that feeling. And man, if you're feeling what I felt today when I was like, man, I need to prove these things out, don't let another Sunday go by. So then in five years, well, you'll have the book of Revelation down in five years. I, I don't know what else. But you'll have that. But Acts and the stuff that happens on Wednesday. Listen, and, and please, like, honestly, what you'll find, your pastor's been feeding you. And it's been good. You just haven't appreciated the good cooking. And you'll be prepared. And you'll be ready. And, man, you, top, you put discipleship on that. And you put on Wednesday nights on that. You know, listen, man, I love Bible institutes, man. I get it. I'm not, I'm not knocking that. But listen, if you just prove out Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights, and discipleship, holy smokes, you would know more. And, and Bible institute would just be a little extra. That you would learn from your Paul as a Timothy did if you just would prove things out by just searching and studying what is being fed. Is this making sense? Do you despise the prophesyings? You know how you may know that you're, pro you're despising it? You, ain't, you won't search and you won't study it. You just come and hear it. It's meant for more. And all of a sudden, you'll be one that says, well, the pastor told me so. And when you actually run into someone that doesn't take that as an answer because they've been hurt by a pastor or been in a cult or been in false religions and systems, they'll be thinking, man, you're trapped. And they want nothing to do with the rest of you, what you have to say because they want to hear truth, whether they know it or not. But you cannot follow suit with the second instruction of this verse if you don't prove all things. Real quickly, what a disciple needs to know, what a follower needs to know, number two, hold fast to that which is good. You can't hold fast to that which is good if you didn't prove it out. Because you won't know if it's good or bad. So once you prove it out, hold fast, man. Don't compromise. Man, don't say, man, like, man, I, I get it. I'm not dogging anyone. But I really hate the term, um, man, chew the meat, spit the bones. Because usually the meat is poisoned along with the bones. Like, I get what people are saying by that. But, man, if you just prove out Sundays and Wednesdays and, and those things, you wouldn't need the meat of other people. You'd have enough here as, the, as your pastors feed you or feed the flock. Hold fast that which is good. Proverbs 4, verse 13, take fast hold of instruction. Let her not go. Keep her. Why? For she is thy life. 
Choose your life, this instruction, and hold fast to the instructions of the word of God. 2 Timothy 1.13, hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ. Man, hold fast once you've proved it out. Don't leave it when God proves it to you. Don't let man take that away and overthrow your faith. Don't let the next five years slip through your fingers because you won't search, you won't study, and you won't hold fast. Then lastly, number three, once you've done that, you've proved and you hold fast that which is good, now you're able to abstain from all appearance of evil. I mean, how many times have we probably heard this said, man, it looks like evil, so probably shouldn't even appear to be doing that. That's good wisdom. But this wasn't meant to be a one-liner. This is meant to be continuing instruction for personal growth in context of not despising prophesying. And listen, if you're not here to attend, you're not here to listen, you're not ready to grow, you're despising, if you don't go home and prove it out, you can't hold fast. And so you're not going to be able to know what is evil that's there to overthrow your faith. And so you won't be able to abstain. If it appears evil, abstain. All appearance of evil, get away from. And abstain means to refrain or to hold oneself from. Much like 2 Timothy 2, shun profane and vain babblings. 1 Timothy 6.20 says, O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science, falsely so-called. Go chew on that one. Science, falsely so-called. 1 Timothy 4, 7, but refuse, refuse profane and old wise. Refuse the meat and the bones. Refuse profane and old wise fables and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. Titus 1.14, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth. Don't even give heed to it. Shun it, avoid it, refuse it, don't give heed to it, abstain from it, but hold fast to that which is good. Because why? For, Proverbs 4.2, for I give you good Doctrine, forsake ye not my law. Doctrine is simply teaching. See, this is written, right? Proverbs is historically my son, my son, my son. And it's Solomon writing to his son, Rehoboam. But it's also, man, you see that it's God writing to his son, Israel, Exodus chapter 4. But personally, as sons of God, if you're saved, God is writing to you as God the Father. And you know what God the Father gives you? Good doctrine. And dads, if you're in the dad's room, man, another personal application, one of the best things you can give your kids is good doctrine. And listen, you can't give good doctrine if you did not prove it out and hold fast to it and know what evil doctrine is and you're abstaining from it. You can't give your son good doctrine if you don't know what good doctrine is. And then husbands, sorry, men's conference still going on. Husbands, you can't wash your wife in the word of God if you don't know the word of God. You can't fulfill your role if you don't prove it out. And hold fast and abstain. Man, like, Jay's here to help you. 
Cody's here to help you. The pastors are here to help you. But if you don't prove it out, you can't give them good doctrine. So let's, let's go back to, man, those quotes. So it's a little game. We'll end with a game. Prove this preacher, okay? Beth Moore is the one that said this. Okay, there's no size. That's good. Okay, there we go. She's the one that says, hey, on the back porch, I got this vision. I hope I didn't step any toes on with the Beth Moore thing, but you prove it out. Is that biblical? Here's another quote. God broke the law of love. This is Larry Furtick, or also called Stephen Furtick, who's very inspirational and motivation and all that stuff. He's the one that said this. Prove this preacher. I'm not, I, you prove it out. Next one is a guy named Joel Olstein. When he was on the cross, it wasn't, when he said it was finished, that's not what he meant. Kenneth Copeland was the one that said, financial prosperity is God's will for you. Paula White, that main name, that name, I don't know if that hits, but this is this person that supposedly led Trump to the Lord, and it's really big in Florida. She says, anyone who tells you to deny yourself is Satan. That one gets me. Because Paul tells you to deny yourself. Next one is a Bill Johnson quote. God wants to take us farther, and we can only get there by following signs. Our present understanding of Scripture can only take us so far. Bill Johnson also said, Christians, to stop focusing on our need to protect ourselves from deception, and instead our hunger for him must be seen in our lustful pursuit of spiritual gifts. Man, that, that sounds like somebody that's trying to overthrow your faith. Joseph Prince said, the Christian life is to be effortless. You prove them out. You prove them out. And guess what? Prove me out. I, I, ain't, I ain't above this. Prove it out. And I don't know if those names hit you or not, but man, sometimes those names, when you start to prove it out, man, it hits you and you're like, there's an emotional attachment to some of those things. But man, I've had experiences. Man, I've, I've had victories through some of those things. You know, but man, prove it out and hold fast that which is good and abstain from false doctrine from that which is evil. Because why? Second Corinthians says this, for such are false apostles. Man, do not be ignorant that there are false apostles and deceitful workers transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. Because ain't no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as ministers of righteousness. And listen, whose end shall be according to their works. Man, we're seeing some ends to some works. They're doing a documentary, just came out on some of it. And all these pastors are failing all over the country. We're seeing the end of their works. But if you approved them out, and hold fast that which is good, you probably won't maybe get caught up in those things. Listen, here, can I just give you a, a perception of what's going on in the world and, and Christianity? 
These guys, man, rise real quick. They almost come out of the woodwork, man. You don't know where, the, where are these dudes from. They rise real quick. You see them on Facebook. It says sponsored. Man, they're coming on your feeds. And these short clips of in, inspirational quotes and all that stuff. And they get in these positions of prominence. And they're failing morally. And man, the damage, it happens to the churches and to people's faith and young believers that never prove those things out. Listen, that's by design. They're deceitful workers to overthrow the faith. They're worked into those positions to then win the trust, to then break it. And then people never walk with the Lord again and they blame the church. And we had that conversation with the lady last night wouldn't even hear what we were trying to say because churches have hurt her. And you're trying to explain, that ain't us. But the hurt's already there. And she wouldn't even hear the gospel. Couldn't even get there. Prove the preaching and teaching out because Matthew 7 says, beware of false prophets. And look, you should know them by their fruits. Judges by our fruits because that's how you're supposed to know us. Man, I can go on and on. But here, one last thing. False teachers manipulate believers. I just want to give you this out so you can start to prove things out, okay? This is further down the slides, but how false teachers manipulate believers. The promise of wealth, because that's what the lust of the eyes is all about. The promise of health, because, man, the lust of the flesh, man, desire to feel. Heal, man, let's heal them. And that draws people. And the promise of prosperity. Wealth, health, and prosperity. Because that lines up with the pride of life. The desire to be. All about those numbers. They'll use fleshly means to motivate you fleshly. Man, don't despise good teaching, good preaching, but prove it out. Prove those things out. And listen, there's a lot of verses we aren't able to go over. Go, man, take it home. Practice this tomorrow morning. You break out your Bible, you sit down, you have your cup of coffee or your Dr. Pepper, whatever you, you do. Sit down. Man, just start running through the verses and prove it out. When you see what's good, hold fast. And you will be more noble. So key questions as we end. How are you going to be obedient and prove this out? What have you held fast that you found was good? What are you going to do so you can hold fast better this year? And are you willing to abstain from the appearance of evil when it's shown to you? And last warning. Don't confuse immaturity with evil. Don't confuse misspeaking with evil. Don't confuse misspellings with evil. Don't confuse wrong cross-references as evil. Oh, it's 2 Samuel, not 1 Samuel. Okay, we're men. I mean, we're, we're, but prove it out. Hold fast to that which is good. What you see in is good, hold fast to that. And then abstain from the evil. And listen, you're not getting evil here. Man, there may be, may be times of immaturity, misspeaking, misspellings, wrong cross-references, but they're giving you 
good doctrine. And they're pointing you to a book, showing you how to study so you can prove these things out. Man, take advantage of that so you're not tossed to and fro. Jay? Amen. Man, that was good. Brother, thank you for letting God use you. You know, I, I'm not going to re-preach, but man, I, I'll tell you this. Uh, a good friend of both Code and myself, Pastor Mark Trotter, would say, there is a difference between something that is Christian and spiritual and something that is biblical and scriptural. And we, we live in the age, and we know this because we've been studying Revelation, chapters 2 and 3. We've been studying the seven churches and Revelation. And we know that there are things that are quote-unquote Christian and spiritual in our world. And they sound Christian, and they have a spiritual element, and they seem like good people writing good things. But those Christian spiritual things have to be proven against the authority of God's word to determine if it really is biblical and scriptural. And, and man, maybe, maybe you heard that for the first time today and you would say, well, man, that's really closed-minded. But that's actually not true. That's actually biblical and scriptural <laughs> because God's word tells us to prove these things out. It, it's not okay for us to just believe everything that we hear because... Man, here's a famous pastor, here's a famous author, here's a popular podcaster. As a matter of fact, that's actually dangerous to have that approach to anything in life, but especially the Word of God. And the reason why, again, is because there is an enemy that wants to overthrow your faith. And you say, well, what's the big deal? Well, what's the big deal is eternity. Because, because a false gospel and belief in a false gospel will land you straight in hell. And belief in a false Christianity, after you've been born again, will lead to a pretty miserable day at the judgment seat of Christ. And you say, well, man, why can't I just have my comfortable Christian spiritual experiences? Because they may not be real. They may not be true. And God's word tells us, again, as pastors, man, we, we have the burden and the responsibility to, to care for our flock and to lead our flock and to feed our flock. And we watch for your souls. And, and maybe, maybe today you've heard what you've heard and, and maybe you've never really been challenged on the reality that there is false teachers and false doctrine and, and things that appear to be Christian and spiritual aren't really necessarily the right things. And maybe that comes across a little crooked to you. I want you to understand, man, it's, it's because there's a battle for your soul. And there's people that, that God has put with the authority of his word to warn us and to teach us and encourage us and admonish us that, man, we've got to get back in this book. We've got to know what we believe and why we believe it. And, and I would challenge you, and, and I know a lot of you, man, your story is such that you actually came out of a system like that. Like some of these quotes, you know. I got heads nodding. They're like, yep, you know the story. You could have gave an amen, by the way, during that. But it's okay if you didn't. But, but man, I know. We got people that came out of systems like that. And, and let, me, let me just thankfully say, number one, we're glad you're here. 
But number two, let me, let me also encourage you that, man, if, if that was your experience, what greater motivation than to get into this book and prove it out? Like, like get, me, get me once, like, you know, shame on me type thing, right? Get me twice, shame on you. I'm, I'm going to spot you the second time. I ain't falling for, Code gave an illustration at men's conference, you know, you ever played the card game? Uh, what, what was it called? Uh, 52 card pickup, right? <laughs> you ever played that game? You want to play that game? Anybody ever played that game? And, and you know, you grab a deck of cards and just, and then, uh, okay, pick them up. Okay, well, if you get duped with that the first time, okay, yeah. But if you keep falling for that over and over, uh, now that wasn't the illustration he used, but it fits here too. Because if you keep falling for that, and you don't prove that out and realize that dude's duping me. This religious leader, this false teacher, this podcaster, this author is, is actually not for my faith, but actually trying to overthrow my faith. Man, don't keep getting duped by that. And listen, this goes all the way back even to the gospel. There's false gospels being preached, being taught. But there's one biblical doctrine of the gospel. It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for our sin according to the scripture. There's no other way that we're going to be saved through, through any other means except coming to Christ in faith based on his finished work. That's it. You can't work through enough good works. You can't join a church. You can't be baptized. So the doctrine of salvation is of utmost importance. And every doctrine after that is of utmost importance. And God's given us, man, some victory today. God's given us a strategy Let's make sure that we can prove it out. And then once we prove it out, let's hold on to it. Amen. Let, let's be the people that when, when some of that nonsense gets spoken, it's like, no, actually, uh, book, chapter, and verse, let me help you understand. That's not, that's not right. Laodicean Christians struggle because, man, we, we don't have much need. But God has a need for us to get in this book and prove some things and hold some things. Amen. And so, brother, thank you, man. You, you've, you've edified our church. God's used you to build our church. It's been good. Amen? So we've got a strategy now. Let's, take, let's start with what we've heard today. Let's take this Sunday morning's notes and Monday morning. Let's run the references. Let's make notes in our Bible. Let's talk about it on Wednesday night. Let's, let's search out the scriptures to prove whether or not what Code preached to us really is biblical. Amen? And it'll be good. All right, let me pray for us and we'll dismiss. Thank you guys for being here. Father, we need you this morning. God, we are so thankful. We've had a, a full weekend uh, of, of, of time in your word. God, the men especially have had just a great time of fellowship and challenge from your word. God, we've been, we've been blessed today. Today was like dessert. I mean, it was like the icing on the cake of, of just what we needed to hear and how to work through what it is going to take for us to be true disciples of Christ and to overcome those that would overthrow our faith and to be faithful in these last days, to hold fast to your word. It's going to take study. It's going to take a discernment between what seems to be Christian and spiritual and what's actually biblical and scriptural. And God, help us to be a people that want to know you and, and we want to know you authoritatively through your word, that, that we, we worship you in spirit and in truth your word is truth. It's the final authority for us. It's not experiences. It's not signs. It's not talking heads or what so-and-so says that's the authority. It's what, what your word rightly divided in context says to us through the power of the Holy Spirit as we understand it. So, God, thank you for building our church today, for edifying us. God, we need you. We pray that this week 
This, this message has a tremendous impact on our life moving forward. We thank you for Code. We pray for his travel today. Thank you for his family. God bless them in a special way. Thank you for Anna and for his kids. And God, as he returns back today, God, just give him in the next few days to refresh and reflect. And, and I pray that you encourage him and, and just encourage his church. And God, continue to bless the ministry in Ocala and use them to, God, reach disciples, make disciples in Ocala, but also to reach the world from that place. Uh, and we'll give you the glory for that as they hold fast to the faithful things that you've given them as well. We love you. Thank you for a great day in the Lord. And we ask it all in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.